All right, hello and welcome to Movies for Dumb Guys. I'm your dumb guy host, Joe Johnson. And with me today is Andrew Walker. Hello, everybody. And Denver Roshan. Howdy. All right, so we're gonna, we got a very specific topic today, a little different than what we normally do. Um, over the past few months, I've been obsessed with movie props. I can't explain it. Don't know why. Um, but I... You know, I'm a collector. I like to collect things, especially movie-related things. And I started finding uh, fairly affordable uh, prop replicas online. So I started buying them and building a small collection and been researching props and looking at lists. And so I thought a good topic today is going to be what we consider the most iconic props in movie history. Um, so let's start off discussing a little bit about what makes for an iconic for me personally, I feel that it has to contribute to the story in some way, has to be held or used by a main character, um, could almost be a character in itself uh, in the movie, but definitely propels the story forward. Um, not something that's just in the background or something like that, or maybe might just appear briefly, but something that contributes to the story. Um, Andrew, do you agree? Absolutely. Yeah, I there's a, there are a couple on my list where, like you said, that they could be a character themselves. Um, I agree with everything you said, and also I wanted to think of things that um, the average, the casual moviegoer would recognize just a, a, an image of out of context. Oh, that's so and so from this movie. Yeah, yeah. And if so you I, take I, it I try to keep out those. of the movie and and place it on a table. Would someone recognize it as? Oh, I know what that is. Right, and I I think. Uh, Probably eight out of ten of my list that are, are definitely uh, definitely that. Yeah, Denver, yeah. do you agree with that? Yep, that yep. Because uh, I found a lot of props that I loved, but weren't really integral to the story. Um, so yeah, I immediately ruled those off, um, and I totally agree with the fact that it has to have reached pop culture status. So it couldn't have been just something that's too obscure and you know even though i might have personally loved it right you know it had to be something that the average person like you said would would recognize and then uh i'm just going to disagree with one thing in, in that you said you had a very specific topic <laughs> I, I found it incredibly vague really uh, just because you know when i was going through my list you know i started pulling it together and it was all weapons, and I was like, oh, I yeah. can do a whole list on weapons. Yeah, that's all... a whole other episode right there. Yeah, or, yeah. <laughs> or costumes or attire, uh, you know, vehicles or transportation. You yeah, know. you definitely can take that category of props and break it into sub-genres. Yep. And I kind of did what you did where I eliminated certain things. Now, most people who know me know that I'm a car guy. I love my movie cars. Um, but there's not a single car on my list because I don't know if I can consider a car a prop. Um, some other things that I saw on other lists were like were like characters. Like you mentioned Robbie the Robot was on somebody's list. And I'm yeah. like, is Robbie the Robot a prop? No. no. He's a character. Not. Correct. And I bought a book recently, and it's a, it has a lengthy title. It's something like the 50 most evocative objects in film or something like that. And one of the items or one of the listings was was uh, Woody from Toy Story. And I'm like, now, wait a second. I have oh. a problem with that because, first of all, he's not a prop because it's a CGI creation. Correct. But even if it was a live action film and, and, you know, 
Woody was a doll that he could play with. He's still a character. I don't he think he has I can... consciousness. Yeah, it says he is not so a prop not at a that point. Prop. He's he's number one on the call sheet, probably right. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, so that that really bugged me when I saw that, and then I saw some other props listed on certain lists where I'm like, "Come on, man!" Well, I like, took food off the list. Yeah, yeah. Even though there is a gray area, for example, Forrest Gump's box of chocolates that is oh, yeah. critical to the movie, but I was like, "No, it's food." I had to draw the line somewhere. So yeah, um, so I did that with a bunch of different things. But... Right, and so you got to whittle it down, whittle it Correct. down. Correct. So mm-hmm. basically, what I did, I came up with my top ten list. Uh, plus some honorable mentions. I'm going to do my top five, and then we're going to go around the table. And when it gets back to me, I'll do my second five. Um, so let's get to the number one prop. In my opinion, the most iconic movie prop. Some experts might say the most valuable movie prop in movie history. Uh, here's my little clue. The ruby slippers. What have you done with them? Give them back to me or I'll... It's too late. There they are, and there they'll stay. Give me back my slippers. I'm the only one that knows how to use them. They're no use to you. Give them back to me. Give them back. Keep tight inside of them. Their magic must be very powerful, or she wouldn't want them so badly. The ruby slippers from The Wizard of Oz. Now, I don't know if this falls into your wardrobe category. Yep, I I had it on my list and then (laughs) took it off because that's definitely wardrobe, at least in my humble estimation. Yeah, yeah, and I I know where you're coming from, but... um, I mean, they definitely are iconic, and if you're doing a list of... uh, you know, a wardrobe best yeah. of, that's for number sure one. number one. Yeah, yeah. without a doubt. Um, here's some interesting little tidbits about the ruby slippers. Um, it's estimated that at least six pairs were made by MGM's costume department for the movie. Um, four of them exist today and have been accounted for. Um, all are in the size of five to six, which is Judy Garland's um, shoe size. But she requested a size slightly larger because after a day of rehearsing and filming, her feet would swell. So they exist in these different sizes. Um, They were made by the Innes Shoe Company in Los Angeles, uh, or at least the the slippers were provided, I-N-N-E-S, Innes Shoe Company in Los Angeles. They provided them to MGM, and then the wardrobe department um, added uh, sequins and gemstones, and they made the little bows and everything. And uh, I am... uh, intimately familiar with these because i i kind of made a pair <laughs> that i have on display when you said display. intimately i was like uh-oh where's it going with no, this <laughs> they're actually my first movie prop replica that i ever had on display in in my home uh, i bought some costume shoes and then i made some modifications to it to try and replicate um the slippers um the slippers are incredibly valuable um over the years they've changed hands um first the, the shoes that are on display today, um, they were discovered in 1980 in the basement of MGM's wardrobe department. A guy named Kent Warner opened up some shoe boxes and found them wow. and sold them off, like with no approval from MGM. He just said, well, they're going to throw them out anyways. <laughs> so he sold them off to different people, and they've changed hands over, the, uh, over time. Uh, one pair is on display in the Smithsonian. Um, one pair, which was owned by a private collector, he loaned the pair to the Judy Garland Museum in 2005, and they were stolen. The security system was not activated. 
cameras were not activated. Somebody basically walked Inside in. Jab. Yeah, well, that's that's what everyone was saying, but yeah. the museum's like, no, it wasn't. Um, so they smashed the glass. Somebody walked out. The only thing they found was one single sequin that they put in an envelope. <laughs> well, 13 years later, in 2018, the shoes were recovered. I remember that story. Was it in Grand Rapids? Uh, was it Grand Rapids? Did that play a role in it? I, I think it uh, was. It? Well, somebody I remember a Michigan out, connection. Was there? Somebody reached sure. out to the FBI. They said, I have a lead on the shoes. The 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 owner wants to return them if there's no prosecution. The FBI said we just want the shoes back, and so they they did get um, reclaimed. But the owner who had them stolen from him, he made an insurance claim on them, so he doesn't get to own the shoes. So I don't know what their future is. I don't know what hands they're going to end up in. Um, one interesting tidbit is you know I was browsing on eBay and I saw this remarkable pair of ruby slippers go up for sale on eBay. And the story behind it is that there was a guy who claimed he owned a pair of original shoes, and the FBI thought these were the stolen ones. So they they got like a search warrant. They went into his home. They confiscated the shoes. And then he admitted he was lying to impress his friends that they were replicas, but he was bragging that they were the real deal. Well, the FBI ended up holding him as evidence for who knows how long. And whoever the current owner of them is put them up for sale on eBay just recently, and they sold, I think, for $750, $800, something like that. (laughs) So even those shoes became part of the legend, part of the lore, just because some guy claimed that they were the real deal. So these shoes, I mean, even outside of the movie, they have this legend where they're just invaluable. And if they were to go up for auction today, they'd probably sell for in the millions of dollars. Um, And that's pretty much what they get insured for. So. Um, and apparently, Leo DiCaprio and Steven Spielberg um, went in on purchasing one of the authentic pairs, and you're going to see it on display at the new Academy Museum that's currently under construction in L.A. Wow. So if you can't make it to the Smithsonian, they're going to have one on display at the museum, uh, a pair on display at the museum uh, in the very near future. Nice. So, um, Andrew, what are your thoughts on the Ruby Slippers? Do you think they belong on this list? They are definitely on my list. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, they, they were the second ones I wrote down actually. Um, I think everybody who owns a TV around the world will know exactly what, what that image is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And like you said, uh, it's just, it's, it's iconic and that movie's been around for what, 80 years or so. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, when you think about it, you know, people in my generation, Every year, watch that movie on television around mm-hmm. Christmas or whenever they replayed it on TV. And then TNT or somebody got the rights to it, and they played it multiple times a year. Now you can watch it on DVD, Blu-ray, whatever. But I, I can't imagine anyone in America not being familiar with these shoes and The Wizard of Oz. It's like seeing a Coca-Cola symbol. Yeah. Like I, I think it's that probably that level yeah, or close yeah. to that level. Yeah. And then Denver, of course, not on your list. And no, I, but it, it, it is... Uh, so integral to the story of the movie. Right. And so that's why I think it's, yes, they're iconic, but it's also very, I mean, it's a, it's a key storytelling device. So right. uh, it, it, in that respect, it, it totally belongs on a list. Maybe yes. it's not this one. <laughs> All right, moving on to number two on my list. Here's a little sound bite. Carrie, what is it? The uh, stuff that dreams are made of. 
Apparently, um, Humphrey Bogart um, suggested that line. It was a Shakespeare reference, and he came up with the line, which is one of the greatest lines in movie history. Um, So, again, like the Ruby Slippers, the Maltese Falcon in real life has a complex history. Now, interestingly, it doesn't have a lot of screen time. It only appears toward the end of the film, but the entire movie is driven forward by the pursuit of what they assumed is this, this... valuable relic that's supposed to be jewel encrusted and blah, 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 blah. And then spoiler alert. Uh, it's just a black painted lead bird. And they, the quest continues beyond the end of the movie. I, I think they might even been talking about a sequel there for a while. Hmm. Um, so the actual Maltese Falcon, like I said, it has a very complicated history. Some people claim to own the actual um, Falcons that existed in the movie, but there was some dispute as to what was real and what wasn't. Um, multiples were made in plaster and at least one, possibly two were actually made in lead or some sort of heavy metal. And those weighed 47 pounds. And the story is, is that during a scene where Bogart was supposed to be holding it, he dropped it, bruised his toes, (laughs) bent the tail feathers on the bird. And that's why they made the, the plaster versions because it's like, the actors had a hard time holding a 47-pound bird. Um, so uh, over the years, people claimed, well, I have the original one, I have the original one, and people bickered back and forth. And then the compli- complicate things, uh, replicas were made for a 1975 version of the film. And so those got thrown into the mix, where people would say, oh, I have an original version. They were like, no, that's from the 1975 remake. So then... Uh, Actor William Conrad, um, he was given a gift of one, a 45-pound lead one that he had in his personal possession for a long time. And then when that was discovered, I think possibly after his death, they saw that it had scratch marks on it. Now, if you remember in the film, to try and verify if the bird was authentic, um, they took like a penknife to it and scratched it and found out that it was lead. So it's it's possible that his version actually appeared on screen. Um, So that one sold uh, at auction in 1994 for almost $400,000. Wow. But then there's a guy named Gary Milan who claimed he had an original one, and that one was actually verified by the studio. And when that went up for sale in 2013, it sold for over $4 million. So ironically... This bird that everyone was in pursuit of in the film, the actual prop became incredibly valuable and sold for wow. $4 million. That's, that's art imitating life or totally, vice versa. Totally. Um, so, yeah. And so the falcon was originally carved by an artist named Fred Sexton. And this is a really weird twist. Um, he was good friends with a Dr. George Hodel, H-O-D-E-L who was one of the key suspects in the Black Dahlia murder. So there's this weird connection to the Black Dahlia. So a crazy, crazy history of the Maltese Falcon. Now, uh, I own a replica. Um, I found a very nice replica that the seller on eBay claims was made from molds cast from one of the original props. Uh, I paid under $100 for it, and it's just beautiful. It's heavy. It looks exactly like the bird in Is the it movie. the same scale? Like yeah, 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 yeah. It looks exactly like the one in the movie, so I'm really, really happy with it. So, uh, Andrew, does the Maltese Falcon fall on your list somewhere? It does not. What? Uh, I have to say, I've never seen the movie. 
<laughs> I I've heard of the movie. Um, I don't know the story at all, so I have to claim claim the ignorance on this one. I. Yeah, I, I don't have anything to say about this. The movie has a very convoluted plot, and I read a quote that the director, this was uh, John Huston's first film that he directed, oh, wow. and he said, he said, oh, audience doesn't care about plot as long as they're having a good time. And this movie was a huge success, even though the plot was pretty confusing. Was this early 40s, probably? Uh, 41, okay. I think it was. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Denver, help me out here. It's got to be on your list. It's at the very bottom of my list. It's on there. Um, but to uh, the point that was just made, I don't think it has kind of, it might have at one point reached a kind of pop cultural mass awareness. Yeah. But I think the the average audience nowadays, it's kind of faded from memory. People know of the movie, they know the name, yeah. but the actual prop itself, I think if you showed it to somebody on the street, they odds are they probably wouldn't recognize it. Yeah, you got to be a film buff to Correct. really appreciate it. Yeah, and it. so that's why yeah. it's on my list. I mean, it's definitely yeah. one of the all-time great movie props, without a doubt, and like you said, key to the storyline. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's list-worthy. But just that's like comes in at my number ten, maybe even runner up, depending yeah. on the way I have some things classified. So four million dollars—that's that, crazy. That really surprised me. That that's big. Bucks. That would go for that. Yeah, twice as much as the ruby slippers, or however much the yeah. ruby slippers before. And you know, and the funny thing is, is none of these uh, Maltese falcons that are out there in circulation, no one can one hundred percent verify that that actually appeared on screen. So to shell out that kind of money for something that. Or a question Might mark. not yeah. have been. Yeah, uh, yeah I'll, I'll give me the replica for a hundred bucks. I'll be happy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It makes me just as happy. All right, number three on my list. Here is a very short clip. If I can find, there it is. Rosebud. Spoiler alert. Um, so Rosebud was the final dying word of uh, Citizen Kane. And the whole movie is reporters trying to find out what this means. What does Rosebud mean? And at the very end of the film, uh, you see this childhood sled getting tossed into an incinerator. And the graphic across the front is Rosebud. And basically what that symbolizes, when he was, when he was torn away from his family at a very young age, he connected to that rosebud sled that symbol symbolized happier times, uh, easier times, and uh, and that turned out to be his final dying word. Um, most people will agree that that's one of the most famous movie props of all time. Um, there were, uh, let's see, there were three balsa wood versions made for the film. Two were tossed into the incinerator. Um, after the the second one uh, burned up. Um, Orson Welles was like, ah, that's, that's good enough. We got it. And so there was a third balsa wood one that did not get burned. That ended up in the hands of Steven Spielberg, who purchased it somewhere between, there's, I've read different accounts here, somewhere between $55,000 and $60,000 in 1982. He bought that balsa wood sled. Um, a third or another sled showed up that was made of pine, and people suspect that this is the one where young Citizen Kane was actually sledding on in the snow. And the owner claimed to have won it in a contest back when the movie came out. And so they had it in the family for years and years and years. 
when that um, finally went up for auction, an anonymous bidder bought it for $233,000. Steven Spielberg is putting his sled, his balsa wood sled, on loan again to the Academy Museum. So you will see it on display at the Academy Museum in the very near future. Do we know when that museum is supposed to open? Uh, you know, I was just looking it up online. I, I think it's still currently under construction, but I'm, I'm hoping later this year. But if not, it's going to be very, very soon. Because I remember the last Academy Awards, they had a, a segment on there about the museum. I, I, I yeah. never read that they were making it. I'm like, oh, one day when I make it to L.A., yeah. I got to go there. I'm excited. I, I can't wait. I, I'm definitely going to be there. Um, so the Rosebud Sled uh, is not something I had as part of my prop replica collection. Until today, I won one on eBay, (laughs) and it is a beautiful, beautiful replica, handmade. The the details, the graphics are all exactly like the one in the film. I am so happy. This is a jewel in my collection. Uh, I will say that I paid right around $200 for it, which probably, if I was to make one on my own, when you think about Wood and varnish and paint and stuff like that. Time I probably, and effort. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm really, really excited to be able to finally add this uh, to my collection. Uh, so, Andrew, did the Rosebud sled end up on your list? Yes. It, uh, I wrote that as number five. Um, I, I've seen I've seen Citizen Kane once, and uh, I know it's on many people's top five list and many people's number one list as, as the best movie of all time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was thoroughly impressed with the movie, the the storytelling. Um, and yeah, it's just one of those iconic things that maybe not every American would immediately recognize, but um, I think a lot of me- medium to, to, to decent uh, movie re- you know, movie people would would recognize, and uh, maybe not as iconic as Ruby Slippers, but yeah, definitely up there. Again, a film buff would gl- look at it and know exactly yes. what it is, but most movie going audiences today probably would not know what it is if they saw it. So, mm-hmm. Denver, where does it rank on your list? Well, it's hands down number one, look at without that. even wow. a, a a second thought about it, because a it's from the best movie ever made. Yep. B, it's the entire movie's plot. <laughs> the entire movie is about finding out what Rosebud is. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I would slightly disagree with you guys saying not the average person wouldn't know. They might not know what the sled looks like. Yeah. But because the first word in the movie is Rosebud, mm-hmm. yeah. everybody knows Rosebud whether they know it visually or not. Right. Um, so I would say the vast majority of people know of Rosebud, let's put it that way. Yeah, the, yeah. the, the term is, is going to be more common than the And then the, the meaning prop. of Rosebud just elevates it 50 million notches above. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I won't go into graphic detail, but... Um, <laughs> The uh, we all know that, or most people know that, Citizen Kane was based on William Randolph Hearst. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so uh, Orson Welles knew that Hearst was not happy with him making a movie about him, and so as a little dig, he uh, he named Rosebud the sled after Hearst's mistress's uh, genitalia. I seem to remember and reading so, that. Yeah, I, story I goes when Hearst found out that the sled was Rosebud, he just went ballistic, and that's when he, like, 
had every one of his papers blackball the movie and yeah. just trash it. And um, so for me, the the behind the scenes story of what Rosebud is, uh, you know, makes it hands down number one choice, yeah. you know, without. Yeah, like and I that's said, a big part a of it that, down. you know, those those so far the top three on my list, it's that lore, that story yep. behind the prop. That's what elevates them to the top of my list for sure. So, this, yeah. Yeah, like you said, these these movies don't really work if you don't have these props. Yeah. Really. And when you think about it, you know, both of you have said that most people consider Citizen Kane to be the greatest movie ever made. When you think about the time period when it came out, so early in in the the youth of filmmaking that all these years later, 70, 80 years later, that it's still considered possibly the greatest movie of all time. Yeah, That's right. mind-boggling. Yeah. Mind-boggling. So ahead of the curve. Yeah. Because you know? yeah. when you yeah, when you watch the movie now, it's like, ah, okay, it's it's a good movie. But when you realize, when you put it in context and you realize everything that was done, you yeah. know, uh so early on in the history of cinema, like you say, that it's just yeah, it blows your mind. So. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's move on to number four on my list. Now, a lot of friends that might be listening to this are like, come on, let's get to it. Uh, All right, (laughs) here it is. I have something here for you. Your father wanted you to have this when you were old enough, but your uncle wouldn't allow it. He feared you might follow old Obi-Wan on some damn fool idealistic crusade like your father did. What is it? It's your father's lightsaber. This is the weapon of a Jedi Knight. Not as clumsy or random as a blaster. An elegant weapon for a more civilized age. For over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the Old Republic. Before the dark times. Before the Empire. No movie has had a bigger effect on my childhood and my life than Star Wars, and one would arguably agree that uh, the lightsaber is one of the most iconic props in movie history. Um, sound effect, just the the thought of light stopping at uh, you know three feet or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not physically possible, but that's what sci-fi is all Yet. about. You're right, right. Yeah, not in our galaxy. <laughs> right, no. <laughs> Now, the origins of this is uh, set decorator Roger Christian uh, was instructed by George Lucas to try and come up with something that would serve as a lightsaber handle. And he went to a photography store in London, and he asked the shop owner, what do you got that might meet this description? And he pointed to a cardboard box that had um, Graflex flash handles in them, a whole box of them. And when he opened up the box, he said, oh, this is it. This is, this is perfect. So he bought the whole box, went back to the shop, added some doodads and stuff to it, showed it to George Lucas, and he said, George Lucas just broke out in a big smile, and he said, all right, I know I'm on to something. So he didn't add very much to it at all. If, if you see pictures of a Graflex flash handle, I think it, it looks like a lightsaber. It's a lightsaber. Um, he added the black plastic grips for Luke to be able to grab hold of it, put a little kind of a belt hook on the end of it, but really didn't do too much to modify it. Um, it changed up a little bit for Empire Strikes Back. It's basically the same lightsaber, but it has these little metal screws in it to kind of hold those black plastic strips on. And, of course, that's the one he's holding when his hand gets lopped off. Spoiler alert. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the one that Maz uh, turns over to Ray. Are we ever going to find out Lakin. how she came into? I'm hoping. <laughs> I'm hoping in episode nine they're going to reveal how it came into her possession. I hope so. I hope. I hate. I would hate to think they just leave that unanswered. Yeah. Well, she, like she caught it. She was in Cloud City. She caught it. <laughs> she was uh, going through the tunnels. You know? Found a hand attached to it. <laughs> so so yeah. So pretty neat simple um origin story and you know to think that those now are some of the most coveted valuable props in movie history um it's uh it's it's pretty iconic and then that that sound effect is what really makes it too and i remember one time working in video production i was operating a camera one time that had a top mounted uh viewfinder on it and i was wearing my headphones that had a little microphone in front of my mouth and i for whatever reason i leaned into the monitor and i heard and I'm like, oh, wow. And I'm like, that's the lightsaber. And that's exactly how they made that sound effect in the movie was they passed a microphone through the magnetic field of a TV monitor or something, and that's how they made those sounds. And wow. it's really cool when you accidentally stumble onto that. So, uh, Andrew, where does the lightsaber fall on your list? It is at number one. Number one. Look at that. Maybe, maybe tied with another one out talk about later of course <laughs> fun fact uh when a five-year-old andrew first w- watched star wars for the first time he thought obi-wan kenobi said lifesaver <laughs> and, and at the time i thought hey, lifesaver i mean it, it, it will save your life in, in a situation and i thought that for probably two years comes in fruity flavor <laughs> yes and of course it's central to the those first two movies and then oh, yeah. central to episode seven and eight yeah. and it gets destroyed in eight and we know it gets put back together in nine from the previews <laughs> Um, like you talked about the sound of the lightsaber, lightsaber being activated. There, there's a couple parts in different movies where a lightsaber is activated off screen. Yeah, you immediately know what it is. Oh, sure. By that sound, and that's just goes to show, like we talked about, how iconic these props are. Just by a simple sound of a of a half a second, you know immediately what that is. Yeah, exactly. So iconic. Yep. Yep. Denver, where does it rank on your list? Oh, this kills me. Kills me. It was uh, when I was making my original list, it was right up there at the top. I didn't really have it quite ranked yet. And then I realized (laughs) most of my lists were weapons. And I said, oh, I can't do this. So I made the uh, no weapons rule. So I kicked it off my list. But um, if I was making a weapons list, it would be number one, hands down, no (laughs) questions asked. because, you know, behind Citizen Kane, just for personal reasons, Star Wars would be my second favorite movie of all time. Mm-hmm. So the lightsaber is definitely near and dear to my heart. And, Ooh. yeah, it killed me to leave it off. Did, does Lucasfilm still own all the lightsabers? None well, have gone up on auction? No, some have gone up for oh, auction. Okay. As a matter of fact, when I was in L.A. last October 2018... There's an auction house called Profiles in History, and they mostly deal with Hollywood-related merchandise. And there on display, I have a photo of it, was one of the screen-used wow. lightsabers that went up for auction. Now, I don't know off the top of my head what it ended up being auctioned off at, but there was some controversy because when they announced that they were selling it, Mark Hamill himself said, no, wait a second. He said there were multiple, multiple lightsabers made for the movie, and there's no guarantee that that's a screen-used gotcha. lightsaber. So Profiles in History pulled it for a little while, and then when they were able to verify its its authenticity, then I think they put it back up for auction and it sold. And I, I don't know what the final hammer price was, but some of a lot of Star Wars props surprisingly have worked their way into okay. public hands. Mm. I, yeah. I think I heard at the new uh, uh, 
park at Disney. Is it Disneyland or Disney World? Disneyland in California, in yeah. Anaheim. That you can build your own lightsaber. Yeah, yeah. I thought, how awesome would well, that be? You know, that's been around because a few few years back, I took my kids down to Disney World. Yeah, and uh, you were able to build them. Now they were kind of toyish and cartoony looking. So hopefully this new one I, looks I would, realistic. I would pay money to do, you know, like an actual metal Heck one where you can I put paid, one together. I bought both of my kids the the fake ones that they were able to customize yeah. and they're they're awesome. I I play with them more than they do. Yeah. You know, so yeah, if they were to do realistic looking ones, oh my god, I would yeah, Well, all day it's long. funny you should say that because I own a lightsaber replica um which is modeled after the Empire Strikes Back version. Um, now, the, the Graflex handles, if you find a vintage Graflex handle, they sell for hundreds of dollars, if not $1,000. Wow. They're that coveted right now by people who are converting them into lightsabers. Um, and then there's a wide range of replicas that you can buy. I found one on eBay for $99, and it's made of metal. I don't know if the guy fabricated all the parts or if he made it from a Graflex handle. Um, but it has weight to it. It has the buttons. It has the gizmos, the doodads. It, it's beautiful. It's I have it in a little display ca- case in my uh, cabinet, and it, it's stunning. So you could find a beautiful, affordable uh, lightsaber replica. Not only Luke's, but Vader's and uh, Obi-Wan's and stuff like that. That's cool. But um, knowing that it's not on your list, Denver, I got to play this. I find your lack of faith disturbing. <laughs> Had to do it. I was scrambling. I was it. like, I got to have some prop from Star Wars in there, and I couldn't find any that was kind of fit my criteria. Yeah, you know, like we were saying earlier, you can't count R two D two. He's one no. of the, he's oh, one no. of the characters. He's, he, he's not a prop. No. So no. Yeah. So if I if I have to pick a Star Wars prop, it's got to be Luke's lightsaber. Yeah, it's without a doubt. All right, number five on my list. Um, this movie has so many iconic props in it and i had to think which one should i include which one should i add and here's a little clue i gotta go with indy's whip now i don't know if this falls in your weapons category but Yep. Indy having it on his hip. It's not just a weapon. He uses That's it to a swing tool across. And, yeah. yeah. And, and it, oh, my God. So I saw one list that said his hat. But, again, I, I put that in the wardrobe category. Yep. And I don't think his hat is as useful as his whip. And then, of course, there are, you know, the Golden Idols and the Staff of Ra headpiece. And those are all great movie props. But if I have to pick one... Gotta go with. No time to argue. Throw me the idol. I throw you the whip. Give me the whip. Adios, senor. I gotta go with Indy's whip. Andrew, do you concur? Number nine on my list. Number nine. I actually wrote down the fedora and whip side by side. Yeah. And I was gonna bundle them together. I had to weigh more heavily on the whip, just like you said. Um. It helps. It helps them along the way, like not unlike a lightsaber. Um, it's more of a tool, like you said. Can be used to uh, disarm attackers, <laughs> like you said, swing from things. Yeah, and yeah, the fedora is more of a, a wardrobe thing, but it's also it's also pretty iconic. But yeah, yep, it's number nine on my list, and uh, and of course I love how in uh, the third movie how you find out how he gets both 
the whip and the hat. Yeah, when he's a kid. Yeah, when he idolizes the uh, the treasure hunter. Yeah. So it, it it was nice. That I think that was before movies started to have like a little bit of a prequel built into the beginning of movies. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, a little backstory. A little yeah. backstory. Um. So that that was always cool when I was a kid. I'd watch that movie every Saturday. Yeah. Um, some little tidbits about the whip. Uh, they were provided to the film by a whip. I think an Australian whip maker named Dennis Morgan. Um, he provided the the film with multiple multiple whips in various lengths, depending on how they needed it. So if it was curled up on Indy's hip, it would be a little shorter. But then if he was using it in action sequence, it'd be a little longer. When he was getting dragged behind the truck, I'm sure that had to have been the longest version. So 100 they, feet, probably. Well, they <laughs> they range in length from 6 foot to 16 feet. Oh, so, I would have thought longer. Um, now, they were made from, uh, and these are, I did a lot of research, because, surprise, I own Indy's Whip <laughs> at home. Um, there's a term called 12 plate, which I, I think means the number of strips that are wrapped around to kind of interwoven to make the whip. Um, made of kangaroo hide. Um, there was a period of time where the, the, where kangaroo hide was banned because they thought kangaroos were endangered, but then they removed the ban. And so, um, and so they're I, like, guess what, Joey? <laughs> Boom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I did a lot of research into this whip and ended up going with a 10 foot long 12 plate kangaroo hide whip that was actually made in India and uh, shipped to me. Uh, paid about 150 bucks for it, um, and it's spectacular. It's, I mean, when you see it in my display case, there is no mistaking what that is. And plus, I have the Golden Idol and stuff on display with it. The hat's on its way. I have somebody <laughs> making the hat for me. Wow. Hopefully, it'll be here in July to complete the display. But when you see that whip, you know exactly what that whip is supposed to represent. Yep. So Denver, so you didn't include it because it's a weapon? Correct, because it was like number two after the lightsaber. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, this is the wrong list. Um, yeah. And so it kills me. But I, un, unlike Star Wars, I was able to come up with a different Raiders So what's your alternative prop? Raiders iconic prop? Well, what's the name of the movie? Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh-huh. So the ah, Ark of the Covenant. All right. Um, especially since, you know, it, you know, is kind of like Rosebud or, you know, everything else uh, that we've been talking about. It's so integral to the story. Now, yeah. the whip is integral to Indy and yeah. throughout all the movies, but you could have had Raiders of the Lost Ark without the whip. Yeah. You couldn't have an arc without the lo- Ra- for Raiders sure. of the Lost Ark. So, Good point. Um, especially that ending. I mean, that's like the most iconic last shot, I think, of all time. Right up there with Rosebud being burnt is when you see the crate just uh, amongst the millions of yeah. other identical crates, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we so have yeah, top men on it. Right. <laughs> top <laughs> men. Right. No, that's a great point, Denver. Like I didn't even think about the fact that it, the arc appears in the title of the film, and you're absolutely right that that should be on. I did at one list. point almost take the arc off the list because it is somewhat weaponized at the end, <laughs> you know, but I kind of chalked it up. That's just the power unleashed by the evil Nazis. You know, mm-hmm. that really is not the arc itself is not a weapon. You know, do you recall off the top of your head? I, and I'm so bad with recalling names. You remember the guy we interviewed last year, the sculptor. Did you come up with it? Brian Muir, Brian Muir. Yeah. Uh, he was responsible. This guy, this, this sculptor, 
not only created the the angels on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, but he sculpted Darth Vader's helmet, uh, stormtrooper armor, the alien space jockey from the original Alien movie. He sculpted all these things, and I had no idea until we met him and I got to interview him and ask him questions about his work when he rattled off this incredible list of things that he was responsible for creating. Wow. Now, of course, with Darth Vader and Stormtrooper armors, you know, he went off of Ralph McQuarrie's uh, concepts and stuff. The guy is a rock star, and he signs autographs and stuff now. Um, but what a history. And he worked all the way up through some of the early Marvel movies, like yeah. Guardians and, you know, uh, and a bunch of others. So, yeah, he is like wow. legend. Right, yeah. right. So shout out to Brian Muir. All right, so that's my top five. So, Andrew, let's uh, go down your top five. If, if there's something on your list that was on my list, you can just kind of gloss over it. But uh, let's hear your top five. Uh, three out of my five. <laughs> We touched, on- <laughs> I, we touched on the, the lightsaber, the ruby slippers, and Rosebud. Okay. Now, before we started the podcast, we, we had briefly discussed should vehicles be props. Mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't think twice about whether they should or shouldn't, but to, I guess I would consider them props. I guess that's up for debate. We can debate it. But the DeLorean from Back to the Future is, is central to me as, as, a, as a film buff. Um, so I did, I did a little bit of research. I guess they had built or they had used, uh, five or six of them. And I know you're, you're a big, uh, car guy. So you yeah. can also have the details, um, uh, from, uh, what was it from an 82 version or an 83 version of the DeLorean? Mm-hmm. And they built one, um, out of fiberglass for the scenes where they would actually lift the car up. Yeah. So it'd be lighter. And they, they really did destroy one of those at the very end of, uh, the third movie with yeah when the train destroyed. Yeah. yeah so that was an actual car that was destroyed yeah um i i just love the aesthetic of it all the added on i don't want to say sci-fi things but all the added on stuff that doc put on it the flex capacitor all that stuff was so fascinating to me What's, isn't there a movie term for that greeblies or something like that like little doodads that are added on to sci-fi oh instrument panels and stuff that really don't mean anything. They just look like something. And that's a perfect example. I, with I've never DeLorean. heard the term, but yeah. I, I, as, uh, as a, as a little kid, those were the things that I kind of latched onto of uh, all these extra things. Uh, and back to the future too, when he has the little, uh, thing on the back where he can put, Oh, the, Mr. Or, or, Fusion, Mr. Fusion, where he yeah, can yeah, put yeah. organic things. He puts a banana peel. He pours <laughs> some beer. Then he <laughs> just throws a whole can of be- beer. In those sort of things as a kid. I, I don't know why. I just latched onto and I loved. Uh, so DeLorean is is up there with me. Now we can discuss: should cars <laughs> be considered props? I think they should. The DeLorean is central to the the plot of the movie. The movie doesn't work without the time machine. Hello, hello, <laughs> anybody home? Hey, think with fly thing. Now, if I if I did not have the rule of not including cars. The DeLorean would be at the top as far as props go because of how it's utilized in the film. Yep. It's it's more of a time machine than a car. And one interesting tidbit, you may know this, that during the you know planning stages of the film, the time machine was originally going to be a refrigerator. And they didn't want kids climbing into refrigerators in a vacant field going, I'm in a time machine. So obviously a, a car was much more dynamic. And then they went with that 
futuristic space age look of the DeLorean with the gull wing doors that look like a spaceship and everything. So it was kind of fun to follow the evolution of that. So if I were to have a car on my list, the DeLorean would be right up there. Denver? Yeah, same. I, I ruled off all cars, but yes, that is, if I was doing a list of cars, that's got to be number one or a close second, you know, for sure. For yeah, sure. yeah. Now, interestingly, um, I don't know if there's uh, any one car that survived the filming of the movie, but they were able to sort of piece together a car from surviving parts and replicated some parts. And so they basically call this the one true survivor of the film, which is now on display at the Peterson Museum uh, in Los Angeles. And it's now part, they have a a temporary exhibit right now of uh, futuristic movie cars and stuff. And if you want to call it a surviving DeLorean from the film, uh, you can see it at the Peterson Museum. And I got to see it up close and, and there's no glass or anything around it, so you can get you can like almost poke your head into the interior and wow. see the flux capacitor and the time circuits and all that stuff. It's really, really thrilling to That's see that cool. up close. Cool. And then there are people who who make replicas. There's one guy locally who um, bought a DeLorean like 20 years ago. It had been in an accident, and he kind of restored it, even though it drives a little rough. And over the course of 20 years, he wanted to follow the same footsteps that they did in the movie. So he'd go to Salvation Army, and he'd find all the pieces and all the parts, and he bought stuff online, and he assembled this DeLorean over 20 years. And I said, I said, if you, would, do you ever consider selling it? And he said, yeah, but he says no one would be willing to pay what I have invested in it. He, he, he estimates that he invested probably $90,000 in the car whoa. over 20 years. Now, you can buy a replica today with all the time gadgets and stuff on it um, that drives like new for about $60,000 if you want one complete. And believe me, if there is a way I can pull that money together, I would drive a DeLorean around. I so, would yeah. definitely yeah. do that. Yeah. All right. Good one. All right. Next on my list is uh, Tim Burton's Batmobile. Oh, another car. Another car. Look at you. I, I love the gadgets, the weapons, the... The grappling hook that allows him to make the sharp right turns. Um, <laughs> Which physically is impossible. I saw, I think it was Mythbusters tried testing that, and there's no way, no matter how strong the cable is, it snapped like every single time. Wow. <laughs> and I couldn't remember what uh, uh, what the chassis was, uh, the original car that they built on, but I see that it's a, a, an Impala. Okay. Um, and I love that almost like 1930s art deco feel to it. Um, yeah. Like 20s and 30s. Um, you see a lot of like concept cars from that time that look a lot like that. You could tell there was a big inspiration from like the 30s. And uh, yeah, the the Tim Burton Batman movies are some of my favorite of all time. And yeah, just that. I, as you can see a theme here, uh, a lot of these things uh, – I came across as as a as a young man, as, <laughs> sure. a, as a five year old, and of well, course. that plays a big role. Yeah. Oh yeah. Now uh, I just watched Batman again recently because this year is the thirtieth anniversary of mm-hmm. its release. It was June twenty third is when it hit theaters, um, and I'll never forget that moment when uh, Vicky Vale's in the museum, Joker, you know, has her, and Batman breaks in and rescues her. And as they leave the museum, he says, "Get in the car." And she says, which one? And then they (laughs) cut to that wide shot of the Batmobile. And I'll never forget that moment. And for me, 
the moment that put the biggest smile on my face is when that exhaust lit up with the flames coming out of it because that was a deliberate tribute to the TV Batmobile. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, every Batmobile on screen, I believe, has that flame exhaust when you think about it. Even the Tumblr and Batman Begins had that flame okay. exhaust. So so that was such a neat moment to see that light up and and Tim Burton devoted a lot of time to just shooting it driving back to the Batcave and mm-hmm. so I agree it's one of the most iconic cars in movie history but I don't know if I could put it on my greatest props. We're going to have to dedicate an entire show to cars. Oh yeah. And we I might was... do that when uh, when Dream Cruise rolls around but yeah. uh Oh, yeah. you could do a whole episode on Batmobiles, right, exactly. cars, you know. As a matter of fact, I think we did. Didn't we talk about that? Oh, that's Batmobile? right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think it was around the time Adam West passed away. Yeah. yeah. One of my favorite parts is when the, the two machine guns pop out and they shoot like a little a perfect square. square for him to <laughs> yeah. go through. And I see that it is also at the... Is it? it is at the Peterson. At the yeah. Peterson Museum in Los Angeles. Yeah, so. I got a picture of myself with it. Yeah. 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 All right. So, uh, yeah. So that's... Such a cool that's car. That rounds out my top five when we include the other couple uh, that we talked about before. Um, all right. So let's go on to Denver. Denver, all let's right. hear your top five. First of all, recap anything that we've already Okay, uh, well, number one was Rosebud, so okay. we talked about that. Um, number two, uh, I tried to pick one, like we said, that's integral to the storyline and that everybody knows that's reached into pop culture awareness. Uh, and so, and this is also a sentimental favorite, so it hits on three things. Uh, the Golden Ticket, uh, Willy Wonka's Golden Ticket. I got a little song clip here. Hey, you've got it! You've got the last golden ticket! The kids found the last golden ticket! It really is gold! Come here, Stand back there! Leave the boy alone! Don't you kill him! Leave him alone! Break it up! Over here, show it over here! Come on, Charlie! Hold on to that ticket! Run for it, Charlie! Run straight home and don't stop till you get there! I actually feel anxiety when he's holding the ticket over his head <laughs> yes. and that crowd gathers around him. I'm like, tuck it away, Charlie! Exactly. Tuck it away! Exactly. So explain why it ranks so highly. Well, I picked it because primarily uh, people who have probably never seen the original movie know the term golden ticket. It has kind of almost become just an everyday term. Uh, anytime somebody has a valuable ticket, it becomes a golden ticket. And it's been uh, ripped off with so many different contests. You see mm-hmm. all the time, oh, we our golden ticket, yeah. you win this. Scratch win off that. lottery, golden ticket. Yeah, 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 so it's it's... I think of any prop that we've talked about, that's become like the most popular widespread. Now, is that movie that one of the greatest movies ever made? It's a it's yes. a really good one. <laughs> I wouldn't put it in my top 10, top 20, but as far as props go, that yeah. prop, I would, you know, say it's a it's a close second behind uh um behind Rosebud. Yeah, that is number 6 on my list. That would have been the next one I was going to get to. Um I saw one up close. Again, uh, when from I was the in, original movie? From the movie. Um, last year when I was in L.A., uh, this Profiles in History had a number of props on display that were going up for auction, and one of them was the golden ticket. So I saw it up close. Got a picture of it on my phone. Um, that was one of three screen-used golden tickets that have reached uh, auction houses. Um, this particular one, uh, when it went up for sale, well, first the history of it, is that there was a, an assistant director on uh, the Willy Wonka movie, the original one with Gene Wilder. His name was Wolfgang 
Glates or Glates, G L A T T E S. Uh, he was the assistant director, and he carried a shooting script with him. And in that shooting script, there was a pocket, and in that pocket was an envelope. And somebody discovered in that envelope, when they opened it, it was one of the original screen-used golden tickets. And it was his responsibility that when it was needed for the scene, he would pull it out, hand it to the actor, they would shoot the scene, he would take it, put it back in the envelope. So somebody discovered that. Eventually, it went up for sale last year. Uh, profiles in history were expecting fifteen thousand to twenty thousand dollars for this piece of paper. It sold for forty thousand dollars. One yeah, of I was going to say fifteen. That seems way low. Yeah, yeah but wow. forty thousand dollars for the impressive. golden ticket. That's so pretty neat. So um, yeah, I do have a replica at home. It's nowhere near as as uh, nice as the ones you see on the screen or the actual prop. So I'm in the process of trying to make one. I recently bought some gold foil paper, and I'm going to experiment with different ways of printing on it. See if I could make my own golden tickets. Cool. Um, does a golden ticket appear on your top ten list? Uh, no. Although it, now Too that you mentioned it, it. it I, if I had a couple more minutes to, to make a list, it would it would be in uh, honorable mentions. Um, I love that movie. It's one of my uh, one of my childhood favorite movies. Um, I I don't know if I would consider it that most people would recognize it. I don't, I well, don't know. I, Maybe. I wouldn't say most people recognize it from. The movie, mm-hmm. but just the term the vernacular. Yeah. Okay, yeah, you it's know. entered popular vernacular. Right. Like it's yeah, it's sure. a phrase people are familiar with. Uh, I now retroactively, I, I I might I I would add it to my list and honorable mentions. Um, so it's an honorable honorable mention. Let's just put it that way. Um, but yeah, it's it's great, and it's of course it, like we said with everything else, it's central to the story. Yeah. It's what allows. Charlie to, to go forward with this story. Yeah. Yeah. I have a couple other Willy Wonka props in my display at home. In addition to Golden Ticket, I have a Wonka bar replica, which is pretty iconic looking. Uh, and next to the Wonka bar is the Everlasting Gobstopper. Ah, and that's, that's another prop that I think most people would look at that and go, that's an Everlasting Gobstopper. Yeah, yeah. So that's, uh, that's part of my collection, it, too. You, you need to mention the living, breathing Oompa Loompa you have in there. <laughs> that's what I was going to ask. <laughs> that would top off the display perfectly. I'm trying to get one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> got a bid on one on eBay. Hey, Daddy, I want an Oompa Loompa. I want you to get me an Oompa Loompa right away. All right, no. All right, good one, Denver. What else you All got? All right, number three, I kind of I did Rosebud, old school. You know, Willy Wonka is kind of our childhood, so I wanted to do one that was more modern day. Uh, so I did the Tesseract from uh, Ooh, Avengers. Interesting. Um, just because those are the <clears throat> movies right now. Um, so if you're alive today, you might not know the word Tesseract, but if you see that blue glowing cube, you know what it's from. You know what it yeah. represents. Um, and again, integral to the storyline, you know, it's a bit of a, like Alfred Hitchcock said, a MacGuffin. Yeah. It didn't really mean much until Thanos used it to make the gauntlet, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, I would say you definitely got to have that up at the top of the list. Yeah. You know, I, I, I came to the conclusion that as I was whittling my list down, I, I whittled off some of the more modern Marvel props, even though I totally get anyone who puts them on their list. Um, but right up there with the Tesseract Cube, I would I would rank even higher would be Cap's shield. I mean, that's pretty iconic. And then Thor's hammer. 
So that would almost be my holy trinity of modern-day props would be those three. If you display those side-by-side. Well, if I didn't uh, have the no-weapon rule, yeah. those would have been on my list. Yeah. Um, for sure, you know, yeah. uh, along with, you know, not Marvel, but, you know, you got the Batarang. You exactly. got the web shooters. <laughs> I mean, there's so many great comic yeah. book weapons. That's why I had to put them on a separate list. Now, I don't own any of those replicas because once I go down that rabbit hole, that uh, that could be a completely different display on its own. So maybe and someday. Hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you get a if you get a aluminum Captain America shield, that's going to set you back several hundred dollars. And, oh, yeah. and, and someone actually, I don't know if you saw this YouTube video, somebody made Thor's hammer where they used a, like an electromagnet in there. And so the guy's able to pick it up and wield it, but when he sets it down, he... he, he oh, it locks in yeah. place. Yeah, and people cool. can't pick it up. That's it's, cool. it, it, it's like some spinning thing in there, and they can't pick it up. And he has a, a thumb thumbprint reader on there, so all these people try to pick it up, and then he, he goes in, he puts his thumb on there and lifts it right up. And I'm like, that's genius. That's pretty cool. That's amazing. That's so those are pretty neat. But, yeah, I don't have any Marvel props. Uh, Andrew, you have any Marvel props on your list? I do. Um, number six, I have uh, Captain America's shield. Um, I would not have thought to put the Tesseract on there. I would have thought the shield or the hammer or, in my honorable mentions, uh, Thanos' uh, gauntlet. The gauntlet, gauntlet too, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, the reason that's not in my top ten is because I, I feel like my top ten – Items would have to stand the test of time, be more time tested. Not that this won't, if I predict in the future. Um, but it's it's so iconic that everyone knows what it is today in 2019, yeah. and there's tons of toys of it. Um, but I just feel like some of my more solid ones would need, would need to have a little bit of time behind them to yeah, that might be to solidify and in, in, in my list. That, but, that might be one of the reasons why it's not on my list is it's so new. I mean, they, it's been in yeah. the comics forever, but as far as movies yeah. go, yeah, I want to I want to put some distance between me and those movies, and and if I can look back at them and go, oh my god, those are classic. Yeah, those, but come on, they, we're gonna look of, back in ten, twenty years, and and these <laughs> are the cla- no, these are I, the Star Wars of our <laughs> time, you know. Yeah. So that's why I had no hesitation. And again, with the Infinity Gauntlet. Again, that was in my weapons list rule, so that was the only reason that one wasn't on there. Let me play this sound clip. This one's fun. She's been fitted with electrical relays that allow you to... What about this one? No, no, that's just a prototype. What's it made of? Vibranium. It's stronger than steel and a third the weight. It's completely vibration absorbent. How come it's not a standard issue? That's the rarest metal on Earth. What you're holding there, that's all we've got. You quite finished, Mr. Stark? I'm sure the captain has some unfinished business. What do you think? Yes, I think it works. A woman scorned. (laughs) Such a great moment to see Cap united with his shield. Pretty neat. Uh, and then since we're on the topic, let me play one more clip. My firstborn, so long entrusted with the mighty hammer Mjolnir, forged in the heart of a dying star, its power has no equal. 
as a weapon to destroy or as a tool to build. It is a fit companion for a king. So yeah, the Marvel movies have generated really iconic props, and I, I predict they'll stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah, I think so. It was it was it was kind of sad to see in uh, Infinity Wars uh, the shield get hacked to pieces. Get, yeah, by but Thanos. But there's a new source of vibranium. Uh, Wakanda is yep. turning yep. that stuff out. So I don't and there think was that's the last. No scene better actually. moment than when. Captain America wields oh. Mjolnir. I was oh, like, yeah. I lost my mind. Oh. I was like, oh my god! Yes. Well, to me, that was up there. And if, I think, I don't know if they got inspiration from when uh, at the end of Force Awakens, when Ray gets the lightsaber. Yes, yeah, that, yeah. That was awesome it reminded me too. a lot of that. Yes. Yeah, yep. No, that that was a great movie moment when. Uh, I mean, the theater that I saw it in, the yeah. people were like going bouncing <laughs> off the walls. They were going crazy. Yeah, so. it was a great movie moment. All right. Definitely. What else you got after okay. uh, Tesseract Cube? Number four is one that the movie was maybe not my personal favorite. I mean, I really liked it. Don't get me wrong, but I had to pick it just because a you know we talked about earlier props almost being characters in movies, um, and this is the definition of this uh, Wilson from Castaway. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and the fact that I still see. Maybe not on a daily basis, but a weekly basis. Wilson memes, and every time I, people have a ball, they talk to it like it's a, a Wilson-esque character. So I had to put that one on there just because of the enormous popularity of that of that character yeah. or object. And it is a character in the movie. Yeah. Um, here's some. This almost made my top ten, but not quite. Uh, but here's some little tidbits. So when they wrote the script, uh, they they liked the name Wilson, and they knew that it was volleyball maker, so they had it in the script, and they had gotten used to the name Wilson. And then the the producers approached the Wilson Sport, Sporting Good Company and said, yeah, we'd like to use your volleyball in our movie, and they said no. <laughs> they said, no, we're not interested. And they're like, are you kidding me? They're like, it's in the script. It's Wilson, and it has to be Wilson. And this well, is Tom Hanks. I mean, yeah. come on. How did, they not, how did they not recognize that marketing opportunity? So with persistence, they finally reached somebody who said, okay, look, we're going to give you 20 volleyballs. 20 volleyballs. So they said they, said they had to, like, guard them, like, with their life. They could not lose any of them because – each one had to have that face oh, meticulously right. yes. pl- painted on it. And then there were various stages of aging where it had the hair and all that stuff. And so one article I read said that all 20 survived the filming. And I think some of them have reached private hands. Wow. Um, but, yeah, Wilson is right up there. And you know that's one of the cheapest prop replicas I've added to my collection because you can buy one on eBay for about fifteen bucks, and, and it's could, got Wilson's face. You could, or on you it. can make your own with your own blood. And <laughs> there you be go. perfect on easy. It. Yeah. yeah, might get a little lightheaded, but you can make it yourself. Ooh, make one with Tom Hanks. <laughs> Even better. What are you doing in my bedroom? <laughs> yeah. Nothing. Go back to sleep. Uh, so now Wilson's a great one. Did uh, was Wilson on your list at all, Andrew? It was not, but it's an honorable, honorable, honorable mention. <laughs> of course, I knew it was popular when that movie came out almost probably 20 years ago, right? I think yeah, it came out in yeah. 2000 or 2001. I never saw it uh, up until probably a month ago. Yeah, It was, oh. it was on uh, TNT or TBS, one of those channels, and, and I said, you know what? I'm going to sit down and watch this. I uh, love Tom Hanks, and uh, 
and um, who's the director? He did, Zemeckis. Zemeckis, yeah. Back to the Future, Who yeah. Framed Roger right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. A great director. And I'm like, you know what? I, I need to watch this. This this movie's great. And, of course, uh, I loved it. And, and that physical transformation that Tom Hanks made. I, and I read that's shocking. They had to take a year off for him to, yeah. to lose all, all the weight and everything. Yeah, and grow the beard. It, yeah, that, I, apparently that was all his, his, was real. his real hair. Was real. Yeah. Today, you, you would never see that. I don't think anyone no. would, do, would grow their hair They'd out. They'd probably do CGI today yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, it's definitely an honorable mention for me. I wonder. I'm curious how many times he says Wilson in that movie because he Ooh, that'd be a cool he to says do a it super over cut. and Wilson, over Wilson. and over. Yeah, yeah, yeah at yeah. least eighty-seven. Times. <laughs> Wilson, where are you? Wilson. Wilson. All right. That's a good one. What else you got? All right, number five, it was this one was very difficult. Uh, I had debated a lot of different ones, uh, but I went with the uh, Mosquito and Amber from Jurassic Park. Interesting, um, okay. Only because, uh, you know, obviously mega hit. I think most people would recognize it. Literally without that, you could not, the movie wouldn't exist. I mean, that's yeah. a central plot point. Uh, and the fact that they're still making Jurassic Park movies and they're just as popular, although this last one was kind of a turkey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, my kids, they love it just as much as I did, you know. Um, and so, you know, again, is that one of the all-time, you know, greatest, uh, uh, most memorable things? Probably not, but just because of, the 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 status of the movies and um now you're talking about personal there's favorite. a couple different times well there's the handle on yeah on, on, on cane. hammond's cane yeah yep is yep. that what you're referring yes. to yes okay because yep. yep. there's another scene where they actually show, show the drill drilling bit going in, in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah 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 and you could buy you can buy replicas of the cane i don't have one yet but one thing i am eyeballing and i would probably rank this a little higher than hammond's cane is there's a company who soon will be soliciting uh, pre-orders for the Barbasol shaving uh, cream that's can that's that unscrews yeah. and holds the little vials of dino that's, DNA. Yep. And when they release that, that I'm going to add that to my collection. I, to me, that's pretty The iconic. only reason I would put the amber above that is you couldn't have gotten to that <laughs> yeah, point right. without yeah, the amber. True. So story-wise, you know. Yeah. That takes precedent, but yeah, that's a great that's a great one. Yeah, as well. yeah. I'm surprised a couple of drug dealers haven't come up with that barbasol. Bar- <laughs> I mean, that's genius. It really is genius. Yeah, yeah. So no, that's that's a great one. All right, so that's your top five. Yes. Um, we're gonna go to my next five, but we've covered a few of them. We did the golden ticket. Um, here's one we 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 sort of touched on, but not quite. Um, let me play the clip here. Hey, 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 stop, little girl, little girl, stop, look, I need to bore you. Hoverboard? Where is he? The hoverboard from Back to the Future 2, in my opinion, one of the most iconic movie props ever. It's hilarious to think that 30 years ago, they thought by 2015, kids would be riding anti-gravity devices. <laughs> that is hysterical. But um, think about that. And you know, 19. When did Back to the Future 2 come out? Like 87 or something like that. And 
imagine sitting in that theater going, oh, my God, wouldn't that be cool? And it's funny that they did come out with something they called the hoverboard, but it's, it's on wheels. It's like you shouldn't, you shouldn't even use that name oh, yeah. if it's not levitating off the ground. Um, but the hoverboard is so iconic. Again, this was another prop that was on display at the Paley Center in uh, Beverly Hills I saw last year. That went up for auction. Uh, I'm not sure. Does it say what it sold for? Oh, yeah, it sold in 2018 for $22,000, um, and it was it was pretty heavily damaged. Um, and I don't even think it had the uh, those repulsor things on the bottom. Um, but a very iconic prop. I own a replica at home. I absolutely love it. I paid about $75 for a replica. Um, I had to add the Mattel stickers after the fact because I don't think – Mattel was allowing replica manufacturers to put their name on it. So I bought the board, and I thought, man, it just needs those Mattel stickers. So out of curiosity, I went on eBay, and sure enough, someone was like, here's an auction for the Mattel stickers for your hoverboard. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So I paid a couple That's bucks, cool. got them That's in the mail, cool. added them to my hoverboard. Now it looks exactly like the one in the film, even wow. better. So nice. the hoverboard, did it make your top ten? It did not, but... Now that I think about it, it should be up there with the DeLorean. Um, it, like, <laughs> like we've said uh, 13 times already, it's it's central to uh, the the second movie, and yeah, and it came back in the third movie. Came, and that's yeah. one thing that's interesting is I don't people don't normally discuss this, but when in the first Back to the Future, when Marty borrows the skateboard, he gives it back to the kid that he took it from. And Back to the Future 2, he never gives it back to the little girl. So he basically stole this little girl's right. hoverboard and never returned it. I, I In college, I, I once convinced a kid at a party that they really did come with, come up with a hoverboard, <laughs> but a child consumer safety adv- advocacy group uh, prevented it from being released, and he believed me. Now, yeah. you can buy a little miniature hoverboard that actually hovers. They use magnets, and it hovers off its base. That's as close as we've gotten so far. Uh, did the hoverboard? Uh, no, get on your for radar a couple of reasons, it didn't make my list. Because one, I tried to put any mode of transportation. I tried to take it off because, again, I could have a whole laundry list of things. And then two, I didn't really think it was it was a, in a fun, exciting part of the movie. But I didn't think it was really central to the movie. All the yeah. other props that I tried to pick were like key elements that you know, if you took it out of the movie, it just wouldn't make sense. You know? Yeah. Um, and so that's the only reason I did it. I mean, I remember seeing it in the theater when it first came out and yeah, my mind was blown <laughs> and like everybody else, it's like, I want one, I want one now. Um, but no, it didn't make my list. The cool thing about having it in my collection is when people see it, they're like, oh my God, you have a hoverboard. Like it's instantly recognizable. Oh people, yeah, totally. They break into a smile. I think for the amount it. of screen time it got. It's definitely one of the most popular props, you know, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. For sure. All right, let's move on to number eight on my list. Uh, you guys might roll your eyes at this one, um, but you got to admit this is probably the most famous piece of jewelry in movie history. It was worn by Louis XVI, and they called it Le Coeur de la Mer. The, the heart, heart of the, of the ocean. ocean. Yes. <laughs> It's overwhelming. That's for royalty. We are royalty, Rose. It was modeled after the Hope Diamond, which, by the way, never 
was on the Titanic. Um, made by London-based jewelers Asprey and Gerard. Uh, they used a London blue tanzanite stone surrounded by white cubic zirconia set in white gold. Uh, the original prop, that's you know, the, the hero necklace is kept in the 20th Century Fox archives. Um, but they did commission the same jewelers, jewelers to make a replica that was auctioned off for charity to benefit Princess Diana Memorial Fund. Uh, it sold for $1.4 million, single necklace. But before the owner could uh, take ownership of it, they had to agree to allow to uh, let Celine Dion wear it during the 1998 Academy Award ceremony. Um, so, yeah, one of the most famous movie props, pieces of jewelry, dropped into the ocean for eternity, which makes a lot of people cringe. Um, there actually is an alternative ending that was filmed and not used where she is caught standing on the edge of the boat, the end of the boat, ready to drop it by um, Bill Paxton's character and, and uh, her, her granddaughter. And they're like, don't do it. And Bill Paxton's character says, if, if you're going to do it, can I hold it? And he holds it in his hand, and as she pulls it away, he kind of tightens his grip, and she gives him this look, and he lets go, and she turns around and drops it in the ocean. So they decided not to go with that take. They let her just stand on the edge of the boat all by herself and drop it into the ocean. Um, so, yeah, what are your thoughts on the, the heart of the ocean being an iconic movie prop? And can you think of a piece of jewelry that's more famous than that piece of jewelry. I'm not going to roll my eyes at you. <laughs> but yes, I, I can think of another one, which I think is on your list also. <laughs> um, but honestly, I've, I've never seen the movie. I've never seen Titanic. Wow. When it, that came out in, like you said, what, 97. 97. Yeah, yeah. I was 13, and that movie was not on my radar. And I thought it I just I I always associated the movie with, oh all, all the all the all of all the stupid girls my age like this movie, <laughs> they're goo goo over uh, over Leo. Leo I, yeah. And that movie it's never come back on my radar. I I am a James Cameron fan. One day I will see the movie. Mm. Honestly, from from uh, my memory, I can't think of what it looks like. So to me, it's not the necklace. Yeah. So it's, it's a blue. It's it's kind of heart shaped. Not not traditionally heart shaped, but kind of resembles a heart. Uh, deep blue stone, a beautiful blue stone that's surrounded with uh, the cubic zir- zirconia diamond type things with a similar necklace. It's a beautiful okay. piece of jewelry. Yeah. I own a replica. Surprise, <laughs> surprise. No shocker there. <laughs> and I, I did a lot of research trying to find an accurate replica, and I found a beautiful one I paid $99 for. I, I was surprised I got it that cheap because there are replicas that looked like the one I own that sold for thousands of dollars on eBay. Uh, Jay Peterman made a, an official replica that sells for $1,500, $2,000, something yeah. like that. So to get one that looks as nice as that one for 99 bucks, I was pretty happy. Denver, does this uh, make the cut at all? Well, first uh, I have to ask you, how does it look on? <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I've posed nude with it on, <laughs> wearing that, on wearing lounge, only uh, Rich sketching you, and there's no pants. And, and, and he said, paint me like you paint your face. <laughs> that's, that's right. See, I know that line from the movie. There you but go. Yeah. I know that more than the necklace itself. <laughs> now, it, it arrived. I looked at it. 
immediately put it in my display. I displayed it on a replica newspaper of the Titanic sinking, and uh, it looks fantastic in the display case. So, um, It was not on my list for a couple of reasons. One, I kind of chalked it up to that wardrobe category. Um, you know, like any rings, jewelry, bracelets, anything like that. I kind of put hats, put that in the wardrobe category. But also, I love Titanic, except for that plot line. Really? I See, but that, that drives plot. the whole story because the whole reason they're out there is Bill Paxton searching for yeah, this priceless Yeah, didn't gym. even need that. Huh, I, okay. To me, I, what I thought was the heart of the story, pun intended, was, you know, the relationship between the two main characters and... Being on the boat, you didn't need that necklace thing. You could have edited that right out of the movie, <laughs> and the movie it would have still been just as amazing and, in my opinion, even better without yeah. it. So huh. those okay. are the reasons. Interesting. I mean, I agree with you in that it's it is an iconic prop for sure, um, and probably one of the bit most famous movie pieces of jewelry out there for sure. Well, speaking of jewelry. Number nine on my list. In the common tongue, it says one ring to rule them all. One ring to find them. One ring to bring them all. And in the darkness, find them. I'm going to go with the one ring um, from Lord of the Rings. One of the most (laughs) iconic pieces of jewelry in movie history and if anyone said that should write that should rank above the heart of the ocean i'm like okay i'll allow it <laughs> um but yeah that's a pretty famous piece of jewelry that is a major catalyst for, for plot development and advancement um and so yeah that's number uh nine on my list um peter there are several made for the movie including i saw pictures of a giant one that you have to hold with two hands Oh, and that's what you purposes? saw for, like, uh, you know, those gotcha. close-ups yeah, and yeah. stuff. So they made them of various sizes. Um, but Peter Jackson uh, gifted um, Elijah Wood and Andy Serkis with uh, rings from the that's movie. Cool. So you could imagine what those would be worth um, quite a bit to be actually from the movie. Oh, yeah. So is that is that the piece of jewelry you were referring that's to? That's what I was referring to, absolutely. Um, I, I would rank that one higher than the Titanic one. It, it is not on my list, but it it should be... An honorable, 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 honorable mention for me. Um, it, it, I think everybody would recognize it with the the foreign script on it. I don't know the elf, elfish, yeah, elvish. Elf. Yeah, yeah, I'm not the world's biggest Lord of the Rings fan. I I saw the movies when they originally came out. I have not seen them since. I appreciate them for what they are. It's just I'm not a big fan of uh, fantasy. Mm. Um, but they are great films in and of themselves. Yeah, and yeah, the. I I would choose that as the most uh, the most famous uh, piece of or prop for jewelry. Yeah, yeah. I own a replica, of course, and it came in a really cool display where you push a button and it glows. It glows oh, orange, neat. and the ring is propped. It, it kind of looks like the fires of Mordor, you know. Cool. Um, so a really cool piece of to my collection. Um, did this crack your top ten at all? It was on my original list before I came up with the no jewelry <laughs> slash but yeah it was on my like my original list of like twenty thirty um because like you said it's so integral to the movie. I mean it is the point of the movie pretty much. Um so for that reason and, and the fact that you know obviously those movies are so incredibly popular winning the Academy Award, you know um so 
Yeah. yeah, had had there been a jewelry clause on my <laughs> list, uh, that would have been on it. But All right. sadly, no. Future podcast, greatest exactly. jewelry in <laughs> yeah, movie there you history. Go. Uh, and number 10 on my list. Now, this movie has a, a couple of really iconic props, and I had to debate which one is going to make my list, and this is what I settled on. Do you know what this is? This is a lamp. It was indeed a lamp. Isn't that great? What a great lamp. I don't know. Uh, hey, hold it. Hold it. The old man's eyes boggled. Oh, wow. Overcome by art. And I know just the place for it. Right in the middle of our front room window. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you know, you talked about the phrase golden ticket entering the popular vernacular. How about the Christmas leg lamp? It has nothing to do with Christmas, but because no. it appeared in this movie, I know people who bring out their leg lamp at Christmas time and put it in the window. Yep. Um, it's absolutely nuts how this has become associated with the Christmas holiday. Um, so the leg lamp was described in Gene Shepard's 1966 novel, In God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash, which was a collection of short stories. Um, so the movie's production designer, Ruben Freed, was had to come up with the task of trying to design something that resembled the description in, in the book. And when he came up with the design, Gene Shepard said, that's it. That's the one. Um, so he produced three lamps. Uh, all three were destroyed in the movie when uh, they shot the scenes of the mom breaking the lamp. They destroyed three lamps uh, to shoot that scene. Um, so no original lamp survived. But California native Brian Jones, who was a Christmas story fanatic, decided to get the license to start selling and, and constructing these leg lamps, and he made a fortune, and he made so much money that he used the proceeds to buy the Christmas Story house in Cleveland in 2004. And he has since bought up other properties and turned those into museums. And I just read recently he bought the Bumpus's house next door. Um, so this, the sale of these crazy Christmas Story lamps allowed him to uh, purchase and renovate the home um, and make a fortune off these leg lamps, and they sell thousands and thousands of them. Now, the other prop, which I was so close to adding, but I didn't want two props from the same movie, um, but this was the other prop. No, no, I want an official red on our car when I shoot you in a jet with my leg rifle. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. The Red Rider BB gun, the, the, the receiving it on Christmas morning, to me, it was such a great moment in that film. But if I have to pick one iconic prop, it's the leg lamp and the impact that it's had on pop culture. Andrew, did uh, this movie uh, make your list at all? Yes, uh, both of those. Well, I, I actually chose the BB gun as more icon. <laughs> well, it does drive the story more than the leg right. lamp. So, yeah. so you, you can have two different theories of what's more visually iconic with obviously the leg lamp. What's more central to the story of the BB gun? And, you know, there's yeah. two different things. I, I chose uh, number for my number 10 as the BB gun and leg lamp as as honorable mention. Yeah. Um, yeah, both of them. Uh, they're great. I, I don't know what, what else to add to what you've already said about, about them. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. yeah. 
Denver? Definitely on my list. They make the, the cut. The leg lamp is number nine on my yeah. list. Yeah. It would have been higher, but it was really rather inconsequential to the storyline. Right. Mm-hmm. It was a, a great moment, a great part of the movie. But, uh, you know, if you had taken that segment out, it really wouldn't. You know, you guys mentioned it. The, the BB gun was way more important to the story. Right. But since we don't really see it until the very right. end, yeah. And I have a no weapons policy on my list, so it wouldn't have yeah. made the cut anyway. So. You know what's funny? When you just said that, my brain immediately connected that to the Maltese Falcon, where they talk about it for the yes. entire film, yep. and then you see it at the very end. Same thing applies Correct. to yep. Christmas exactly. Story. It's it's exactly. this mythological thing that that he wants so badly, and it, it's it and drives the, the end, whole it's... movie and. It's really nothing, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so those those are two pretty iconic props. I do not own replicas of them yet, um, but they are on my wish list. I'll probably add the leg lamp very soon, and then maybe when Christmas rolls around, I'll treat myself to the BB gun. <laughs> um, all right, so that's my top ten. Andrew, what's on your top ten? Anything that we have not covered? I wrote this down and. I don't know if it's if it really. I'm having second thoughts, and it should be on my list. Uh, the scissor hands from Edward Scissorhands. Okay. I think for me personally, it's bigger for me than America as a whole, or as moviegoers as a whole. I love uh, the first half of Tim Burton's career and <laughs> everything associated with it. So there's a couple things from him on here. Um, I love the backstory of uh, Vincent Price's character when he creates him. Yeah. I love that so much. I don't know why I love it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the scissor hands. Um, I know we're probably running late on time, so I, I won't spend too much time on that one. Um, I also had, like we talked about earlier, uh, Indiana Jones's whip mm-hmm. and the fedora. Um, Reese's Pieces from E.T., yeah, you know, I, I thought about that, but I ruled it out because yeah. of it's a it's a food item. So if you put Reese's Pieces on your coffee table, would people look at it and go, E.T.? Or, see, I, I don't know. It depends I, on the context. Yeah, and yeah. it depends on your crowd. I mean, yeah. Um, and I, I want to just do two other honorable mentions before I get to my my <laughs> my golden my golden person. Uh, the, the the Ten Commandments. From Ten Commandments. Yeah. Oh, the tablets. Yeah, yeah those so, are pretty good. Like I said, I think this might be more uh, with scissor hands. It, it's a it was, it was a personal thing for me growing up. That was my mom's favorite movie, mm-hmm. and they play it on uh, Easter every year. Oh, I think yeah. on ABC. Yep. So and yeah. that's central to the movie. Um, and that's what he. That's his purpose in life. Really, those are pretty iconic, man. Yeah. Those are. Pretty big when when you talk about the history of movies. Yeah, those was, tablets. Oh yeah, and that movie it, itself, you could talk about you know yeah. for an hour uh, just how big that production was, all the extras they use. You you don't see movies like that anymore. And then there was that third tablet that Mel Brooks dropped <laughs> and broke in history of the world. Oh, uh, I give to you these fifteen. Oi, these ten commandments. And I don't. This, it's such a simple thing, and I I don't know if you can consider it. A, prop but i guess it's a prop in jurassic park the cup of rippling water when yeah. the, when the t-rex that i saw when i saw that movie i was probably eight or nine years old that always had a big impact on yeah. me 
See, I consider that more of a moment, like a movie moment. Okay. As yeah, because a, a, prop- a glass oh, of yeah. water is not really anything all <laughs> yeah. that memorable, you know. Yeah. But it's what a, it happens to yeah, that yeah. prop, you know. You know how they did it? You know how they made the ripples? I do not know. They used a, a guitar string, I think it was. They would pluck a guitar string underneath the, the it was a dash. Big, there, huge whatever. speaker underneath the water and so when they would go boing yeah and it caused the ripple that they needed yeah yeah so yeah to me that's a great moment but i don't know if it would qualify i I don't know if it it would be a prop um and then i'm just gonna end my segment with something that's up there for me personally with luke's lightsaber is peewee's bike and (laughs) peewee's big adventure still probably one of my Probably my favorite movie of all time is Pee-wee's wow. Big Adventure. Um, I, I love movies where a person or a group of people are on a mission, on an adventure, um, like Wizard of Oz or the first Star Wars, or like yeah, this yeah. movie, he's got to get his bike back. And it and does drive the story. It is. Once it's stolen, 100%, 100% central it. to the, yeah. the, the plot. Like we talked about earlier with the DeLoreans, all the extra doodads on it. Yeah. He's got the little lion in the front. Yeah, yeah. He's got an oil slick. He's got <laughs> rockets that can propel him. Yeah. Uh, all and the tassels, extra Tassels, of course. There's tassels. <laughs> when, when he's being chased by uh, some bad guys on the Warner Brothers lot, one of them tries to pull the handle, and it just comes off, <laughs> and another one pops up. All of these things, I think, are brilliant and and. For that to be Tim Burton's very first film, and to yeah. be such a great film, it's it's something special to me. Yeah, I think it's pretty great, and uh, that's on my honorable mention. And if you do make it out to L.A., pay a visit to the Hollywood Museum on Highland off of Hollywood Boulevard. They have Pee Wee's bike on display. Oh, the original The bike? original oh. with his gray suit next to it. I, I'll show you a picture later. I have it that's on my cool. phone. But you could see the original bike on display at the Hollywood Museum. Yeah. That was on my original list in that twenty thirty list that yeah. I made. That was on there for sure. And then I just But you had a strict no bike policy. Well no <laughs> no vehicles. no transportation yeah, yeah. policy. Yeah. So that's the only reason that one didn't make it. Yeah. So Denver, uh anything we left off? Yeah, I've got a couple. I mean, and the reason they were low on my list is they were, I think like Andrew's picks, they were more personal. Um because I've got the uh, uh, the board game from Jumanji, yeah, you know, because that kind of drove the story, yeah. Um, and I've got younger kids, so we've watched it recently, and with the sequels that have been happening, it's still very much in the the pop culture uh, mindset. Um, then we've got a little bit more on the uh, obscure side. You got the the briefcase from Pulp Fiction, yeah. The mysterious golden glowing briefcase. Um, yeah. <laughs> Vincent. We happy? Yeah, we happy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Well, just because at the time, I don't think I had ever seen a movie where they didn't show you what, what was, was in, you know, I was just, it drove me mad. I was like, Oh my yeah. God, why won't they just say And that's it? the very definition of that. You mentioned that term, the MacGuffin, like yes. it, it really had no meaning. Yeah, it just, just was there to drive the story. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, Any theories as to what was in the, uh, Nope. Cause it's one of those things where it's like nothing that I come up with is going to 
fit perfectly or be yeah. as interesting as what uh, you know what it could yeah. be. I think the the original theory was that it was supposed to be diamonds or something, and then they they said you know what, just not even show. Ah, what's I got in you. It. So yeah. it's like the gleam of the yeah. the stones. Got yeah. you. Um, all right, let me go to my list real quick. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, this one is going to be very, very obscure. Uh, but when I saw it on one of these websites, I was like, yes, Blue Velvet is one of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> I've probably seen that more than most. Wow. And uh, Dennis Hopper's gas mask that he wore. Huh. Just because to me, Dennis Hopper, when I saw that, was one of the scariest characters, villains, whatever you want to call them, in movie history. I mean, that yeah. guy just creeped me out. And so every time he brought that mask out, I didn't know what it was, <laughs> what it was for, if it was just to get him high or whatever. Um, but that just made such an indelible mark. Now, did it have really much to do with the storyline? No. Did it really have much to do with uh, pop culture? You know, I don't think there's a lot of people out there referencing it or anything. So, that was maybe number eight on my list, but yeah. just because that's such a, a personal uh, a favorite yeah, movie, yeah. I, I had to throw that out. He's up there, like I, in my opinion, like top five villains of yes, all time. Exactly, huh. up there with exactly. Darth Vader in my yep. opinion. Yeah, I agree, hundred yeah. percent. And, and they then both I've have the a... same breathing problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. They sound pretty close. <laughs> and then I've got a million other runners up, but, you know. Right. Yeah, here's a here's a couple of uh, honorable mentions for me. Uh, Harry Potter's wand is is a big one. Um, in Pirates of the Caribbean, that Aztec coin drives the, the whole story for it. It all revolved around that coin and being returned to that treasure chest. Um, Ghostbusters Ghost Trap, uh, even though it's not necessarily essential to the story, it's so iconic and such a visual part of that movie. Um, the Holy Grail on my list, the Holy Grail. Uh, <laughs> Indy's Holy Grail from The Last Crusade. Um, I own a replica of it. Uh, it looks great on in, on display with all the other props from those movies. Um, and then I'm just going to throw this out there because I just recently watched it. It's the 25th anniversary just recently of Forrest Gump. And uh, his, his Bubba Gump shrimp hat, which he wears throughout the entire movie. Oh, yeah. um, and then his ping pong paddle plays a big role in the movie. So um, I have the hat. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to shell out money for a ping pong paddle, but... Uh, so those are my honorable mentions. Um, anyone have any other honorable mentions you want to throw out? Uh, the uh, the boombox and say anything. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, that's, yeah that's a, a iconic one. moment. Again, not pivotal to the movie, so I I, I left it off my list. Um, I had a few other. Oh, the the Wonder Boy bat um, from the from natural. The natural. Because yeah. when I was a kid, I played baseball. I wanted that bat so badly. If I was older, I probably would have tried to recreate one. Um, and then uh, finally, the box from Seven. Wasn't the box? <laughs> right, exactly. Box. I mean, I didn't put it on the list because it's such a generic look. It had yeah. it been like a cool looking box, but it's just a regular old cardboard box. Yeah. But it's, I mean, the, the ending of that movie is that box, you know, yeah. going out to the desert to get the delivery <laughs> and then so hard with the reveal. Oh, yeah. So, man. Um, and then I had a bunch of things that I really wanted to put on the list, <laughs> like the, the, the sunglasses from they live. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah but yeah. I kind of put that in the, the wardrobe, wardrobe. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the Necronomicon from the evil dead. I kind of consider that as, Kind of weapony, even though it wasn't like a, 
something you could physically, you know, injure someone with, but yeah. then it could summon evil spirits. So I took that off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then along the same lines, the bone from 2001. 2001. Yeah. The fact that that was kind of a weapon, and it yeah. it was only in the very beginning of the movie. Yeah. So I saw the it? monolith on some list that they oh, consider yeah, that, that, that an would be iconic a good one. prop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I actually have a, a kind of a cool prop story. When I lived in L.A. in 1990, I took some friends to Paramount Studios to do the tour, and they took us into the prop room, and as uh, the tour guide's kind of showing us around, a woman pushes a giant cardboard box on a dolly right next to me, and she took some things out and disappeared to go return them back to where they got them from. And while she was away, I kind of glanced over in the box, and I saw, like, some household knickknacks and different things. And one thing that caught my eye, I reached into the box, and I pulled out a frame photo of, uh, of Ann Archer. You know the actress Ann oh, yeah. Archer? Of course. So I, I really liked her a lot, and I pulled out the photo, and I looked at it, and I'm like, oh, that's a movie that she's in. This is kind of cool. So the prop lady, like, comes back and sees the, the photo in my hand. She gives me this look, and I set it back down in the box, and she continued uh, putting all the props away. And so... Some time kind of went by, and I'm like, ah, I wonder what those are from. And so one day, about a year later, I'm sitting in a movie theater, and I'm watching Patriot Games with Harrison Ford. And in the movie, his wife is Ann Archer. And cut to the living room, there are all the props That's on the cool. mantle, and that cool. photo I held in my hand are all on the mantle. And I said, That's it. That's what those props oh, yeah. are from. And it was a Paramount production. And so it was cool to say That's that I cool. held those props in my That's hand. Cool. So. Yeah, have you guys ever come in contact with any iconic props or anything you've held in your hand or seen up close? Like I said, that Profiles in History, they had a lot of really cool props on display in Beverly Hills last year that all got auctioned off, including uh, the Jumanji uh, game board oh, really? they had, uh, That's in the cool. display. And, That's pretty cool. And they had helmets uh, from Star Wars and C-3PO's metal hands and all kinds of cool stuff. It was really neat to see that stuff up close. Yeah, the only so, thing I'm yeah. thinking of is that we went to that Star Wars traveling exhibit. Oh, that's right. Uh, at the DIA, and right now, if uh, if you're in the uh, Henry Ford uh, Museum area, yeah. they've got a really cool Star Trek. That's right. Museum with a lot of the original props. They've got an original Tribble and the the bridge council from the original Enterprise. Yeah. Um, and so they've got a lot of models and stuff like that. So years ago, the Henry Ford had a James Bond exhibit I went to go see, and they had some cars and uh, Odd Jobs Bowler and oh. Jaws's metal teeth oh, were all grill. on display. <laughs> How cool was that? That's very yeah, cool. Yeah, That's so cool. I, I get a kick out of that. I love seeing that kind of stuff up close. So yeah, I don't believe I have ever come across anything. Uh, Official, official Hollywood. Well, we'll get you out to that uh, Academy Museum. Hopefully, going to open soon. I would love to go. Um, I, I'm, I'm so sad that you reminded me that I missed that Star Wars <laughs> DIA. <laughs> I, I was planning on going, but uh, I never got the chance to go. Ah. But hopefully, again, probably in a couple of years, I'm sure something like that will keep traveling around. That's right. Make That's the right. rounds again. All right, guys, enjoyed uh, talking about movie props with you, and I hope our listeners enjoyed the conversation as well. Yes, thank you. And we will see you again on a future installment of Movies for Dumb Guys.